0: Toronto Blue Jays at Chicago White Sox Game Three, Tuesday, August second, U.S. Cellular Field, Chicago. The accompanists cheesy organist Nancy, the stadium PA announcer, the relentless white rock music and computer pizza races flashing up on a screen drowned out the soloists, the Toronto and Chicago baseball clubs, on this very hot night. Temperatures soared over 100 degrees in Chicago, and the blazing White Sox, 15 games up in the American League Central, should have been a hot ticket. But many empty seats were in evidence as police and fire night began. You never hear anyone talking about the White Sox in Chicago. And a night at U.S. Cellular Park, a cozy blue home run haven with an ominous black cross-hatched facade, helped reveal why. White Sox management has decided that the hype is the way to sell the product, baseball. There was such a barrage of phony, noisy goop being forced at the fans every moment that it was hard to grasp that there was a ball game going on. The organ music was absurdly inappropriate, playing insipid chords between each pitch. Toronto outfielder Russ Johnson was given an odd intro music as if he ran a hair salon. No second was left for a fan to contemplate the sport, and the total absence of any blues, jazz, or soul music to link with the Afro-American community here in this heavily black-populated Southside neighborhood bordered on the sinister. What was management really up to? Anyway, the White Sox, with 15-4 and four ace John Garland on the hill, got off to a great start. After a 1-2-3 top of the first, Iguchi, the White Sox second baseman who amazingly bobbled every ball that came to him all night, bopped a right-field double. Then Slugger Canerco creamed one deep into the left field seats for a 2-0 lead. The ball was flying in the hot summer night air. In the top of the second, with two out, the game took an incredible turn. Garland started getting his pitches up, and seven straight hits flew everywhere, crescendoing to a Hinsky double, Johnson triple, Hudson deep right field home run, Adams opposite field home run to left. Actually, the first hit, Kosky's liner to right, was played beautifully by Dye, who gunned Corey out at second, going for a double. The Sox outfield of Dye Rowand and Podsednik, who crashed full-on into the wall and left in the fourth to Rob Johnson, looked great, and along with excellent starting pitching, not tonight, and a deep bullpen, it helped Chicago dominate the American League. This didn't look like a strong hitting team, however more like an all-or-nothing home run crew, swinging and missing a lot, popping balls straight up in the air, over-swinging. Two 60 hitters were waiting for the big bopper. So the five runs Toronto put up in the second loomed big, and the crowd was stunned to silence. Meanwhile, Toronto's starter, young Towers, who looked like a little scrawny boy, got his stuff together and barraged the strike zone with a variety of under-90-mile-an-hour Serves that baffled and frustrated the flailing Chai Sox. By the fourth, fiery Ozzie Guillen, the outspoken Sox manager who didn't like the called third strikes on Everett and Canerco in the third, was riding the home plate umpire relentlessly and finally got tossed. Guillen came out and had his say to the fans' chant of, Ah-Z! Ah-Z! But the ploy of protecting his men and trying to fire them up was as irrelevant to scoring runs as was Nancy's organ noodlings. Towers only gave up one run in seven and two-thirds innings of hard work before giving way to Spire in the eighth. Meanwhile, little leadoff man Adams spanked another home run to right field in the fifth, and like in the second, Zahn, Hinsky, and Johnson got three hits in a row in the sixth to chase the ineffective Garland, who looked pretty disgusted with himself. On a night heaped with irrelevancy and absurdity, more strangeness continued in the eighth. Towers, with magnificent control all night long, was tiring, and grazed Pierzinski on the elbow with two away, and was taken out for Spire, who promptly threw one that almost decapitated Germain Dye, hitting him high on the shoulder and leaving him lying in the dirt for minutes before bravely rising and taking first. Foolishly looking for revenge in the ninth with two out, Adams, up looking for his third home run, was hit purposely by Adkins. No one was ejected, no fight ensued, but the Sox, trounced soundly by the colorless but steady and solid Blue Jays, got to assert their prideful dominance. This Sox team looks a little cocky and a little privileged and whiny with their huge division lead, and they need to focus on playing good baseball the rest of the way instead of empty swagger where they will be dead meat in the playoffs to serious teams like Boston, New York, and Oakland, who don't waste time with such things. Maybe the whole Sox corporate image of fluff instead of substance will undo the ball club in the end. Postscript. The Sox swagger actually worked. After blowing the whole 15-game lead down to three and almost getting overtaken by Cleveland, the Sox regained their balance and went all the way to the World Series on a combination of swagger and fantastic pitching. Toronto stayed colorless and hopeless and need to insert some life into their team if they want to compete next year. Next week, Game 4 in the series detroit tigers hosting the seattle mariners thanks for listening tell all your friends about the baseball trip at the itunes music store